December 7, 1941. It's history. A date which will live in infamy. The events. That's one small step for man. The drama. One giant leap for mankind. The deep questions. If we dig deep in our history and our doctrine and remember that we are not descended from fearful men. It's hardcore history. I've been reading one of these sort of strange books lately. I don't know why, but I got real interested in a device some scientists had been working on that supposedly would allow the living to speak to the dead. It was something that had to do with radio waves and frequencies that we don't normally listen to or pay attention to. And so I ordered this book and I was reading it and I found the stuff on this device to be kind of interesting. But of course, I don't know why this is, but these sorts of books can't help but stray into areas that I find less interesting. And this one did too. Started talking about spiritual mediums. These people who supposedly can channel people from the other side, right? And this medium that the author was talking about supposedly was talking to Eleanor Roosevelt. I know, it's an extremely credible book, is what you're thinking right now. Well, in this conversation with Eleanor Roosevelt, supposedly she said that sometime during her husband's administration, the Franklin Roosevelt administration during the 30s, the aliens from outer space contacted Earth and that they had been working with FDR and every American president since. And this really got me thinking. It got me thinking about what if that were true? What if, and just for, you know, argument's sake, the aliens had contacted the president of the United States and that they had been intimately involved in world affairs since the 1930s. Wouldn't all of our history be wrong? Or maybe that's not the correct way to put it, because all of our history wouldn't be wrong. But if the aliens really were talking to the president and influencing policy, and you didn't know about that and factor that X factor into your thinking, well, you'd have a really skewed vision of, you know, everything that had happened since the 1930s, wouldn't you? The um, great general and emperor Napoleon had a line, and I've heard it translated a couple of different ways. Uh, one is, what is history but a bunch of agreed-upon fables? Or what is history but a bunch of lies agreed upon? And that's an interesting line, probably more true in Napoleon's day than now. But what he's basically saying is that history is not the bedrock, God's honest truth we always assume it is. Now, there's a lot of truth in it, but there's a lot of stuff we don't know. I mean... I've given examples before of people like Alexander the Great. Alexander knew that he was doing great things during his lifetime, and he brought a bunch of people with him on his treks, whose job it was to record what he was doing, because he knew he was going to be in history. But do you suppose those people that he hired to chronicle his endeavors were giving you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or do you think they were maybe slanting it a little bit? 
So what Napoleon says is rather interesting. What he's saying is history is kind of the truth and kind of the spin. I mean, for example, ladies and gentlemen, you can think very easily about people who might be writing the history of today. And you can see how that history might be different if it were person A or person B writing the history or this political party or that political party or communist or capitalists. I mean, it's not that hard to see how easily, especially if you only have one or two sources for a given period or time or event, how easily it would be to misunderstand something. History is a bunch of lies agreed upon, right? Well, what if the aliens were talking to U.S. administrations from the 1930s? And the reason I'm going down this road is it occurred to me that there are, depends on who you want to believe, if you like this kind of stuff, you call it alternative history. History that might not be what we learned in school but might be the truth, alternative history. That can also refer to uh, things that didn't happen. You could say, well, what if the British won the Revolutionary War? That's alternative history. The other term that's often used is pseudo-history or pseudo-archaeology. And my first encounter with pseudo-archaeology, uh, and maybe you remember this yourself depending on your age, was a movie. It was originally a book, but in 1968 I wasn't reading books like that. So I saw the movie in like 1972 or something. It was called Chariots of the Gods. And, by the way... It's a book and movie that's pretty discredited now. If you go up and read a Wikipedia entry or go online and do a little research, most of the stuff in Chariots of the Gods has been kind of debunked. But when I first saw this movie, uh, it well, fired my imagination as much as alternative history does for a lot of us, or pseudo-history or pseudo-archaeology. And what Chariots of the Gods was about is the author went around the world finding all these strange little anomalies, these oftentimes paintings or pictures from early civilizations or writings or legends and such, trying to make a case that a lot of our Earth history has been influenced by people from outer space. Now, by the way, this is not that unusual an idea, just because Chariots of the Gods has been somewhat discredited, Carl Sagan, the noted astronomer, wrote a book in 1968 with another guy where he postulated that it was possible that people from outer space were occasionally coming down here and having an influence on us. And if you want to use logic, it's funny to talk about aliens from outer space and logic in the same sentence, but if you buy the theory that there's intelligent life out there, and as Carl Sagan said, just look at the odds, an Occam's razor sort of approach would indicate that there's a pretty decent chance. And if they could travel in space using spaceships and whatnot, what are the odds that they would come down here and have a little something to do with us? Maybe come out and help out the folks, right? Maybe go to Mesoamerica and help out those Olmecs and Toltecs and maybe go over to the Middle East and start teaching the Sumerians how to do agriculture. Go to ancient Egypt, build a few structures, and give them a little inside knowledge. See what I'm saying? It's not that unusual an idea to say, well, maybe the aliens came down here and had a little influence on planet Earth. But see, folks, think about how that messes with your historical narrative if that's true. Think about how that becomes the X in our little algebraic equation on history here. I mean... 
if something like the number zero was something handed down to us from space aliens, how much would you like to know that to factor into your historical tabloid so that you understand better what Earth history is all about? Now, here's the thing. With this pseudo-history, alternative history, pseudo-archaeology, more than 90% of it is either not true or just mistakes. See, I don't want to suggest that this is an effort to fool us, right? I just think a lot of the people who buy into this stuff are wrong. And not all of this stuff, because I buy into some of it sometimes. As a matter of fact, I remember um, buying a book by a guy named Graham Hancock. Maybe you've read Mr. Hancock's works. Now, Hancock is one of these people that the traditional historian crowd would call a pseudo-historian or a pseudo-archaeologist because he differs from the standard archaeological and historical viewpoints. And what he suggests, for example, in The Sign and the Seal is that there was some sort of advanced technology at work in things like the Ark of the Covenant or the pyramids in other books, um, and that these come from a civilization here on Earth that may have existed before the great, you know, legendary flood mentioned in the Bible, and that these civilizations possessed technologies above and beyond what we would have expected, and that these technologies are at work in some of the things that are hard to explain, like what the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to have done, the pyramids in Egypt and such things as that. Now, I'm not a big Hancock fan for the same reason a lot of historians aren't either. There's just not enough facts for me. There's too much speculation. But a lot of people like this stuff. Now, not historians, I must say. Not paleontologists. Not people who study, you know, ancient man. They don't like this stuff because, well, after all, 97% of it is bunk. But what's interesting is the part that might not be. History is a set of lies we all agree upon, right? Well, so what kind of things might you bring up as being part of the interesting side of alternative history? Well, in the Bible, there are some very interesting um, writings. I mean, Ezekiel's famous as one of the prophets who wrote about a celestial chariot, which, by the way, is one of the things in Chariots of the Gods that they suggest is an alien spacecraft. Now, just imagine for a minute that that might be true that the Hebrew Bible talks about alien spacecraft that supposedly were following the wandering Jewish Hebrew tribes through the desert, raining stones and lightning down upon their enemies. Well, shoot, if even that one little event is true, all of history is different than we theorized, right? History is a set of lies we all agree upon. And folks, there are all sorts of legends that are tantalizing. And I think that's what, you know, books like Chariots of the Gods played upon, these tantalizing little legends, that seem to suggest that man has had contact with higher beings, for example. And I don't want to play too much on the alien thing, because there's a lot of other alternative history that has nothing to do with aliens. But this idea of Prometheus, the one in Greek mythology who stole fire from the gods and brought it down to man, that's often been cited as maybe an example of someone who was bringing back alien tech to humankind at an earlier stage of development. Or there's stuff from Mesoamerica, and I'm not a Mesoamerica um, expert. I'm not an expert on anything, but I know less about Mesoamerica than I do about a lot of areas. But I mean, Quetzalcoatl, 
and I'm sure I've mispronounced that, is supposedly one of these gods that may have been a representation of people from outer space coming down to bring knowledge to the native peoples of the Americas. Um, in Mayan culture, there's Viracocha, same kind of thing. And as I said, Prometheus. There's things that we have yet to explain on this planet adequately that people grasp at the alien idea for. I mean, I remember growing up, pyramids were all the rage, and everyone was trying to figure out the secret power of pyramids. Maybe some of you old enough to remember will remember when they used to sell little kits where you could buy, um, you know, a bunch of little rods that you would put together in a pyramid shape, and you could put a piece of fruit under this pyramid, and supposedly the fruit wouldn't rot or wouldn't rot as fast. So we were all into pyramids, and everybody was talking about these mystical powers and these mathematical knowledge and these astronomical things that had to do with pyramids. And there were a lot of people running around then saying, well, you know, obviously man couldn't do anything like that, so they must have had help from somewhere. That's where the aliens come in, right? When man starts going, well, gee, scratching their heads. Well, man couldn't have done it, so who could have done it? Well, someone else. Someone else who? Well, who else is there but those people from outer space? And I've always thought that the reason that those kind of theories form is because we don't have enough respect for ancient peoples. I had a professor in one of my history classes had a great line once. I've never forgotten it. He said, listen, what ancient peoples didn't have is the ability to go to a library and read what other ancient peoples had thought up a thousand years beforehand and build upon that. But they are every bit as clever as we are. And in many ways, more clever because they don't have the shortcuts we have today. They had to work out things the old-fashioned way. And if you watch some of those shows on television like Mythbusters and a bunch of other ones, you can see that not only did the ancients have more ability in things like building pyramids than we ever gave them credit for, especially in the 70s when I was growing up and we were putting fruit under little pyramids, um, but they could do things in ways that we... To this day, still can't figure out how they did, but we know they did it. I'll give you another example of that. The famous Damascus steel from the Middle Ages. In Syria, they would make these swords with such purity of metal in them that to this day, we have no idea how they did it, but we know they did. Same thing in my mind with the pyramids. I don't think there were any aliens involved in that. But the minute you see, it's almost like there's a reverse factor, too. In the same way that, boy, history is turned on its head if you think the aliens interfered with it. Well, in the same way that it is turned on its head if you think they did, it's also turned on their head if they didn't. Because if you turn around and go, well, you know what? There are no aliens. They've never influenced life on Earth. Then you have to go, well, wow, those ancient Egyptians could sure do stuff, couldn't they? Same kind of thing. And by the way, it's not just the Hebrew Bible. There's stuff in ancient writings from India that seem to talk about pretty clearly spacecraft having battles in the sky. There's all those people who believe in Atlantis. You know what Atlantis is, right? Atlantis, as far as anyone can tell, was first mentioned by Plato. Talked about, as if I recall, I'm trying to remember this from memory, if I recall, he didn't say a whole lot about it, but he suggested that there was this island that isn't around anymore, that had an advanced culture, uh, and that it was destroyed in some sort of cataclysmic disaster. And man has been trying to put their finger on where this Atlantis might have been ever since. I've heard people talk about the island of Santorini, uh, one of the Greek islands that was destroyed by a volcanic eruption, or almost destroyed by a volcanic eruption, uh, before Plato's time. 
people have talked about uh, things over by um, Gibraltar at the mouth of the Mediterranean because that's where uh, Plato said Atlantis was. He said it was by the Pillars of Hercules, and that's that area. Uh, a lot of people go looking for it in the Pacific, I mean, the Atlantic Ocean somewhere, around Bimini. They'll find things underwater that look like roads, and they'll say, well, see, maybe we found Atlantis. Look at these roads. But, folks, we don't know if there ever was an Atlantis. It might just been an invention of Plato. And even if there was, a lot of people go to the lengths of suggesting that we're talking about a technology on the level, on par with what we have now that somehow the aliens lived in Atlantis or something, whereas if there really was something that Plato was talking about, which would have been in ancient times even to Plato, the tech wouldn't have been probably very much better than what Plato was living with. Again, assuming that it were true. One of these X factors that would allow us to totally shift history on its axis if we knew for a fact that there was some place called Atlantis, and it did have a higher level of technology, and it was spreading that technology around the ancient world. Wouldn't that change our view of history? History is a set of lies we agree upon. There's other things, too. I mean, what about the idea, to get back to more modern times, you know, with Franklin Roosevelt talking to the aliens and them influencing U.S. foreign policy ever since, what if alien craft were crashing on the planet and... We were sending our people out to, you know, grab anything they find on the ground, bring it back to the labs and have the scientists reverse engineer it. You know what that means, right? You find some, you know, you find a Star Trek phaser and you start taking it apart and seeing if you can't learn something from what you take apart. Wouldn't it be interesting, I've heard people say, uh, that computers have simply been progressing far faster than they should have been in the natural timeline of things. And the only thing that explains it is some reverse engineering going on. Again... I don't buy it, but wouldn't that tip history on its head? The whole idea of alien tech. And then there's the Ark of the Covenant. A lot of amateur history people like yours truly love the Indiana Jones type stories, right? And in the first Indiana Jones, he was looking for the Ark of the Covenant. And by the way, the reason people like yours truly like the Indiana Jones thing is because that's archaeology the way people like yours truly like to do it. I like to call that American archaeology because I got into archaeology at a young age and, you know, an archaeologist will sit down there with a paintbrush and meticulously just brush the dust off these ancient artifacts and spend their whole lives working on a few of them. And that's just too slow for a lot of Americans, yours truly included. So there is something I like to call American archaeology. Sorry, I don't want to insult any American archaeologists. American amateur archaeology, I'll call it. And that's when something like what's going on in Egypt a while back happened, where they're going to build this giant dam, and they're going to flood this whole valley that they know is filled with antiquities, and you got like six months to get anything you can out of the valley before the flood happens. Otherwise, the flood's going to destroy anything anyway. So you get the bulldozers out, and you just start churning up the ground. Heck, if we break a few pots just going to get flooded anyway. Forget that little paintbrush brushing dust off. We're going right through the middle of that tomb and grabbing everything we can. That's Dan Carlin-style archaeology, folks. Thank God I'm not doing that work, or we'd know so much less about history. But the idea of the Ark of the Covenant fires the imagination of people like me. What was the Ark of the Covenant? Just so you know, the Ark of the Covenant was the container that supposedly held the broken Ten Commandments that Moses supposedly threw down from Mount Sinai. And according to the Hebrew Bible, it had all these amazing powers. 
help the Hebrews win battles, knock the walls of Jericho down, right? If you even, they kept it hooded because the belief was if you pulled the hood off it, people just fell down stone dead from the power. And a lot of people have suggested, you know, some even slightly credible people have suggested that maybe there was some sort of alien tech going on with the Ark of the Covenant. Again, if that's true, how different is world history than we think it is? And then there's other kinds of pseudo-history. Now, I don't want to upset anyone by getting involved in anyone's politics or personal beliefs, but because the understanding of the past has such an effect on the conditions that we live in right now, it's only natural that people might want to go back in the past to try to reinterpret things so that the now changes for the better. I'll give you an example of something that I consider to be pseudo-history. You may disagree. Um, but that was done with a noble purpose in mind, I guess you could say. In 1954, there was a book published called Stolen Legacy, a book by a man named uh, George James. And what Mr. James was trying to do was suggest that Western civilization which, as we all know, is based on uh, the ideas of uh, some very influential Greeks, at least that's the traditional viewpoint, really wasn't a Greek-based culture, but that Western society is really an African, a black African-based culture, and that the Greeks like Plato and Socrates and all those folks stole philosophy from the black Egyptians, according to uh, this author, and that We've been living a lie ever since and that historians are either not aware of this or are deliberately hiding this fact to keep African-Americans down. And when you realize that white folks in America had been using history to denigrate African-Americans and suggest that they were somehow inferior to white folks, you heard it in the literature of the Times quite a lot. Well, you know, these African folks, if they'd ever done anything of value, we'd have it, wouldn't we? We'd have temples and pyramids and buildings and writings. Well, we do, ladies and gentlemen, have quite a bit on black African culture that's quite significant and profound and interesting. But Mr. Meek's suggestion that ancient Egypt was a black culture and that the philosophies that the West has been based on come from that and it was stolen by the Plato's of the world, that's kind of pseudo-history. And... Understand also that there have been a lot of other folks following in Mr. Uh, James's footsteps. There's a book, series of books now called Black Athena that tries to suggest that Greeks as we know them now are not the people that existed in Plato and Aristophanes and Socrates' times, but that those folks had an African, black African component to them that we're unaware of. That's been kept from us. And again, I understand why this is, because if you want to improve the standing of people today, one good way to do it is improve their history. Yet that leads us toward the pseudo history route. And I would argue from my own perspective that black Africans have a heck of a lot to be proud of already. Plenty of civilizations whether you're talking about Timbuktu or the wonderful kingdom of Kush or the dynasties of Egypt from the 24th on uh, and people like P.A. that were absolutely black Africans of high culture and standing. You don't need to invent all this stuff like the fact that, you know, Greeks stole philosophy from the Africans. It's unnecessary. The real fallacy in history was when white folks filled with racism trying to keep another people down 
suggested that they had never accomplished anything in history. That was the lie. So I don't think having a pseudo-history uh, was even necessary. Just teaching the truth would have helped. In any case, that's an example how sometimes pseudo-history gets created for reasons that are political and current. And of course, when you're talking about the importance of controlling the past in order to have an influence on the now, it certainly isn't just confined to the black Athena the African-American side of things. This is a human thing you find all over the world. The whole attempts going on in Iran right now to um, reinvent the history of the Holocaust, maybe that's a nice way to put it, is an example of trying to change the past in order to change the present. You see it going on over the genocide uh, question between the Armenians and the Turks. I mean, my goodness, uh, you could get your nation's diplomacy in trouble depending on which side of that debate you pick. So it's absolutely common and normal to try to reinterpret, sometimes simply reinvent the past history as a way to change the now. So lots of examples throughout history of that. Well, you know, that brings up an interesting point, and that is how much do the people that are looking into these twists of history want to find what they're looking for? Graham Hancock wants to find out that some previously undiscovered high-tech ancient Earth civilization created the Ark of the Covenant or was at work in the Ark of the Covenant. And the author of Black Athena wants to find out that black folks were involved in Greek civilization. It's understandable because we have those kind of things happen in science all the time, don't we? People that are too wrapped up into the results they hope to find. So, you know, lo and behold, that's what they find. And it's, you know, there's all kinds of monuments too, right? I talked about the pyramids, but let's not forget there's megaliths all over the world from Stonehenge to Easter Island to places in Indonesia. I mean, when you see these monuments to whatever they were, whether they were astronomical clocks or, or um, sacraments to the gods, whatever, you look at a Stonehenge, and it's hard to imagine ancient peoples erecting that. So it's natural to say, well, I believe in aliens, and it must have been the aliens. Like I said, I think that that denigrates the cleverness of early man, who probably could put that stuff together better than we think they could. At the same time, wouldn't history be different either way? If we could confirm ancient man did that, boom, history's one way. If we could confirm they didn't, boom, history's another. History is a set of lies agreed upon. Now, to me, the most interesting alternative history that I ever got into was based on some Einstein theories. And I hope I get this right. I'm not a big mathematician, physics kind of guy. But I remember being in a class once where a professor tried to teach we history guys, and so many of us aren't good at math. I don't know why that is. It's like you can be good at one thing and maybe not another. But he was trying to explain to us how some of Einstein's theories and people like him gave us the idea that all time is happening simultaneously. And I've never, ever been able to shake that idea. In other words, what he was trying to explain to me, if I understand it correctly, was that Everything is happening right now. 
The Battle of Agincourt in the Middle Ages happening right now. The erection of the pyramids happening right now. The Hebrews leaving Egypt for the land of milk and honey is happening right now. That time as a linear concept is a human construction. That it's a false human construction. And I thought to myself, you know, for many years, how if that theory were correct, will you talk about the ultimate theory that sets history on its nose? Forget alien technology. How about that one? How about the idea that everything we've ever known is happening right now at the same time, including all the things that haven't happened yet? Well, to our linear way of thinking. But wouldn't that explain a lot of things? Wouldn't that explain, like, Nostradamus? And maybe you've heard of Nostradamus. Nostradamus, a famous seer, I guess you could say, S-E-E-R, a person who supposedly saw the future, and he had to write his predictions in a sort of a disguised form so that he wouldn't be burned at the stake of some kind of witch. But his disguised form is ambiguous enough to keep us confused so that you can read more into them than he wanted, which provides just enough plausible deniability to make it a little like astrology, right? Except that some of it's really weird. And you say to yourself, okay, well, how did Nostradamus see this stuff if it was real? And if you think about the idea that all of time is happening at the same time, well, then all of a sudden it becomes pretty easy to see how someone like a Nostradamus could see in his little crystal pool or whatever it was that he looked at the future in, how he could tap into, say, the Second World War and see images of Stuka dive bombers attacking tanks on the ground in his little pool of water. Well, all he had to do was pierce that little veil. And all time is happening at the same time. Again, it's something that blows my mind to think about. It would also explain all sorts of weird happenings. There's a famous case, I want to say it was in the 1950s, of some people who went down in a cave. They were spelunking, I guess it's called. And they were really deep in the cave, and they stumbled upon an opening. And they looked in this opening, you know, they're way underground, and they see a wagon train in the distance in the cave being attacked by Indians. And it turned out when they got to the surface and told the story, they were right where something like that had happened. And they believed that they essentially saw something that had happened a hundred years before going on right in front of their eyes. Wouldn't the fact that all time is happening simultaneously explain that, if indeed that's true? So alternative history, pseudo-history, pseudo-archaeology, forbidden archaeology, as some people call it, very interesting stuff, twists history, changes it. All history is a set of lies agreed upon. And I thought it valuable to discuss this today to show you how history is not just narrative. It's not just A happened, then B happened, then C happened, and now we have D. Some of it is extremely outside-the-box stuff. People who enjoy history enjoy it for different reasons. Some of, some of the pe- people that enjoy it enjoy it for the A to B to C to D stuff, but some of them enjoy it for the idea that wouldn't it have been interesting if the aliens came down, helped the Hebrews fight their enemies in Canaan, helped create the kind of world we had today, talked to Roosevelt about fighting the Germans, and have been talking to U.S. presidents ever since. Well, 
It may not be true, but it sure is fun to theorize about.